Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner. I'm joined by our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from former Red Wings defenseman Rick Zombo, who is now the head coach at Lindenwood University, just outside of St. Louis. They were in Ann Arbor on the weekend to play the University of Michigan at Yost Arena. But first, Ted, the Red Wings, the season is about to get underway. They'll open Friday against the Montreal Canadiens and Vegas odds makers have the wings at 84 points. That would be 10 more than last year. Does that sound realistic, Ted, from 74 to 84 points it won't get them into the playoffs for the seventh straight year but what do you see over or under 84 points wow that's interesting mark i did that is a good number too Mm -hmm. boy i now i know why i don't like to bet oh my (laughs) god uh i'll just say a shade below that maybe 83 Mm -hmm. 82 what i don't know what's your feeling Where, where are you on that well, one of my last questions, could the Wings improve by more than 10 points? Could they yeah, get up to yeah. – it's unlikely to, Ted. I think 84. That's significant. Ten, five victories, essentially. That's that's the NHL. That's difficult to do. If they get 84 points, I would call that a highly successful – not highly. That would be a successful yes. season without a doubt. Yeah, if they get to 84 or slightly above that or whatnot, I think that's a successful season. It's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. So many things would have to go right, though, and I just don't know about that. Um, There's still some depth issues. I'm not sure if if any of their – I mean, you could say that for any team in the NHL these days with the salary cap world, but if they suffer the wrong kind of injuries to some Mm -hmm. key people, that would really hurt them. But – the lineup is much improved. I think we've talked about that all summer. The lineup is much improved. Should be a better team. Um, I think there's reason for Red Wings fans to be optimistic and at least have a little bit of hope, at least definitely have some hope going forward from here on in. And again, it all starts on Friday. But first, let's hear from Derek Lalonde, the new coach. You were talking to him, Ted, the other day about the playoffs, and here's what he had to say about breaking the six-year playoff drought here in Detroit. Hey, Derek, there, I mean, let's face it, there are people whispering, mentioning playoffs, but you don't like to even, it seems like you even want to go there or approach that. What, I mean, why just take steps or something to that, or what? Well, you know, I, I hope there's optimism. We expect to be better, and we expect some of our young players to take a natural progression, we obviously signed some players that are fitting in nicely here. We expect to be better. I don't. I don't mean to be pessimistic on the word playoffs. I think it's probably more of a credit to the Eastern Conference. I mean, 100 points was the playoffs last year. I don't recall. I mean, you guys helped me out with last time the Red Wings made the playoffs. I think it was 82, 83 points. You guys recall? I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but that's you know some years look differently. But the Eastern Conference, you're, you're talking hundred point teams. Um, we want to improve with our defense. We want to keep the puck out of our nets. We want to be a much better team five on five. We want to improve our special teams. 
if that happens, I'm hoping results will take care of itself. And then hopefully the results lead to putting us in that position. I talked about Malina is just playing meaningful games as late in the season as possible. Uh, if it gets to that point, like I'm a coach, so I want to win right now. I want to win every day. That's how we're going to approach it as a coaching staff. That's what we're going to preach. Um, so, but right now it's it's game one Friday. Let's see what we look like and go from there. So, Ted, we have a better idea of what the Red Wings will look like on Friday against the Canadians. Lalone set the lineup today for the opener, the forward lines, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Kopp, Perron, Verana, Rasmussen, Soderbloom, Sunquist, Valeno, Kubalik, and Ernie. The defensive pairings, Sider and Sherratt, Ronick and Mata, and Lindstrom and Hag. He didn't say who would be starting the opening and goal, Nadelkovic or Huso. He said he'll rotate the two Friday against Montreal and Saturday against New Jersey. So, Ted, who do you think he'll start and goal on Friday? And what stands out to you about this lineup with Suter and Zadina on the sidelines for game one? The goaltending, Mark, I mean, really, it, do, it doesn't matter that much. Like, I think he's going to alternate them a lot here this, mm-hmm. first, this first month or two. So, it, Really, to a certain extent, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'll just go on the limb and say Nadelkovich maybe tomorrow, but mm-hmm. I have nothing. I really haven't got, don't have a good vibe on it. And I think both of them are pretty even, to be honest with you. I was a little surprised about the Zadina and Suter situations. Yeah, I was. I, I thought they would play those two over the rookies. Soderblom and Valeno, but mm-hmm. they have, I mean, Zadina and Suter haven't been overly impressive and they've had their moments, but not haven't been overly impressive. I mean, there was so much talk about Zadina and maybe the fresh start and he had a good training camp. He played, played well, if I remember right, the first couple exhibition games, mm-hmm. but yeah, truthfully, I guess you have to say some lately, the, the games for him haven't been as impressive. Um, Soderblom and Valeno, they earned it. Good for them. I mean, two kids who came in, you probably didn't think, especially with Valeno's case with the option, he's still, you know, he could be sent down to Grand Rapids without, you know, concern of being lost on waivers. You really thought that was a slam dunk decision to maybe just have Valeno go to Grand Rapids, but mm-hmm. no, good for them. I mean, they both earned it. They played well. I think they had something to the lineup. Soderblom. Goodness gracious, six foot eight with those type of hands. It's just a unique <laughs> weapon in the NHL. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like it. Belano, maybe he's ready to take a new a big step in his career. We'll see. But uh no, I like to see stories like that when some two kids like that come in and basically earn their jobs, earn their way into the NHL. Good for them. Ted, earlier today you talked to Captain Dylan Larkin and you asked him about what it was like with Derek Lalonde after seven seasons with Jeff Blaschel. And here's what Larkin had to say about his new coach, Derek Lalonde. Oh, you've had, you know, you've, you guys have been around Derek for a month, it seems like. Can we get any sense of what he's like or what he's about or what he's going to be about? Well, I think he, he cares about his players. I, I've seen that. Um, you know what, I think uh, he's brought a lot of stuff from Tampa. Nothing moved. Um, we've been talking about that for a month now, but um, you know I think he's, he's he's very patient. He's he's calm behind the bench, which which I really like, and uh, you know he's demanding, and, and he's going to have to be. There's been some uncomfortable conversations already, 
and I expect there to be more, and I expect it to help our team. Tad, Dylan Larkin used words there to describe Lalonde, like calm and patient and demanding. Lalonde has used words like process and structure and taking risk out of the game, heavy practice. does like the word process, Mark. He <laughs> does enjoy the word process, much like his predecessor. Absolutely, process over outcome. And a lot of coaches talk about that, that the outcome – will be based on the process. So it sort of makes sense. And it can be, well, it's not quite a cliche, but I wonder what your thoughts are. I thought there might be one difference in the press conferences between Lalonde and Blaschel. Lalonde, I think Ted has been really specific in describing good and bad plays. He'll say Soderblom's goal against Toronto the other night, we were at the game and the goal was good, but he mentioned the forecheck and the angling and getting in and doing something right. And he'll also talk about, Raymond leaving the defensive zone too early. Raymond was minus 32 last year after a really good first half. And then the team fell apart in the second half. It has been very informative. I found and interesting to see how he wants the team to play very specific, the Tampa Bay way. In fact, Darren McCarty says they're using the one, one, three, four checking system, like one man in the second man reads, and then three men across the neutral zone. We'll see if that actually develops, but I'm wondering, have you noticed anything about Lalonde's approach with the media? And how do you think the team will respond when he has to play the bad cop and make hard decisions and have those difficult conversations, as Dylan Larkin told you earlier today? Well, my friend, he's had a couple already this week. I mean, with the Zadina and the Sooner mm-hmm. situations, I mean, those couldn't have been easy. He's made some hard decisions already, Some hard had some hard conversations. Still so early, Mark, let's face it, in the opening weeks. But I, mean, I, I could see where he's he could be a pretty successful coach in his own right. He's, mm-hmm. He seems to know his X's and O's without a doubt. He knows what he wants from this team and he, how he wants this team to play. He does seem to be a really good, clear, concise communicator. Mm-hmm. I think with us and the, seems with the players, too. The players talk about that a lot. Um, and that was one of the things you heard most a lot about him. I know I think Steve Eiserman was very complimentary of that right off the bat, how how good a good a communicator he is. I do find there are some similarities with Mr. Jeff Blaschel. I think that <laughs> just the terminology, I think mostly, and uh just the approach as far as the process and the outcome and oh my god, all that coach speak. Right. But no, right. I, I think he's it's I could see where he could be successful and just the fact that it's a new voice, Mark. I think we've talked about that so much in the past. Mm-hmm. I think this team did need a new voice. I think this guy seems to have a good handle on it. Oh, and by the way, did you listen to him on Spit and Chicklets? Yes. I mean, it, was, it was quite it was quite enjoyable. I, I liked I liked I enjoyed listening to that. It seemed like he had a little different sort of personality in that interview and you know they were those guys are so good at what they do just being former players and whatnot and they were able to draw some stuff out of him um he you know i again i think i mentioned it before on one of our podcasts just as far as lalone goes just the fact that he worked his way up the system just mm-hmm. never missed a ladder they took you took every step up the ladder every league and he's made it to the NHL. Good for him. You like to see that type of dedication and perseverance rewarded. Time now for our podcast guest today. Here's Rick Zombo. 
In an interview recorded before his Lindenwood University team lost twice to the University of Michigan. Joining us now is former Red Wings defenseman Rick Zombo, the head coach of the new Division I hockey team in the St. Louis area, the Lindenwood University Lions. They'll play a two-game series here against the Michigan Wolverines at Yost on Friday, October the 7th and Saturday, October the 8th in Ann Arbor. Rick, welcome to the podcast. And what will it mean to you to bring your brand new Division I team into Yost to play one of the top teams in the country in October? Well, to be honest with you, Mark, it, it, it's humbling. The mm-hmm. coaches is unbelievable. Uh, the use of the word opportunity, it, it doesn't have grandeur of what it means to me. Okay. Uh, this is a storied university and hockey program. Uh, when, when we set out, we wanted to make certain that we sought out the best programs uh, for us to start with. It, it is, uh, in, in my opinion, it's very important to set standards, set the bar, play okay. the best, see where you measure up. Uh, but but on the other side, Michigan didn't have to play us. The other teams didn't have to play us to provide us an opportunity to play them. Uh, I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, I, I am of the opinion that uh, whether you're a new ki- kid on the block or you've been established for years and and have tremendous amount of su- success, not only moving players to the NHL but getting to the Frozen Four and winning championships, mm-hmm. uh, you still have 60 minutes and there's only one puck. So. Uh, eventually, uh, the players do the work. They do the heavy lifting. Uh, everybody knows the history of playing in Yost and the children of Yost. Um, and now Linda would get to take our program and, and the players that I'm proud to be coaching uh, to compete against the Wolverines. Rick, before we talk more about Lindenwood and the growth of minor hockey in St. Louis, how about Jacques Demers and his promise of bringing up the best players from the minors, you were drafted in 1981, an eighth round draft choice. And in 1986, you went down to the minors a couple of years. And in 86, you won a Calder Cup with Adirondack, with Adam Oates and Bob Probert, among others. And then this new coach comes in. He said he would give players a chance. And he did. And you came up in those first two years, Rick. The team went to the conference finals against Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers. So what did you learn from Jacques Demers, who seemed to be in your corner right away? You've done your homework, Mark. Um, <laughs> what I learned in Detroit, uh, before I get to Jacques Demers, is the ownership from the Illich family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 70s established, we are family, you know, the Sister Sledge or whoever started that song. Uh, it's a coined phrase. All sports have cliches, but... Uh, to really own it and establish it, Mike and Marion Illich and their family has been unbelievable to me and always has been. That's where it, it, it's established on the top. Okay? Mm-hmm. You have to understand that I, I was an American at that time, drafted in the eighth round. Uh, I, I'm sure I was filling in uh, spots uh, because teams had those selections that needed to be made. At that time, I had spent time with conversations with quite a few teams, never with Detroit. Prior to the draft, primarily at that time, Minnesota North Stars had four, if not five, second-round picks. That's where I was expecting to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was drafted by a gentleman by the name of uh, – the GM was Skinner, right? So I'm an eighth-round pick. I'm American. I'm coming out of Chicago. I'm in the organization. Now you have a completely different regime. At that time, 
that I signed pro was with Jimmy Devolano. The, the assistant GM was uh, uh, Neil. Uh, so other than the fact that my last name starts with a Z, I was really on the bottom <laughs> of everybody's list. And, and I played 14, if not 15 games in my first two years. Um, it was my third year with the Wings. Uh, Jacques Demers came in. And um, Jacques Demers was a man of his word. Um, didn't know who I was. Didn't have a whole lot of brass uh, pushing for me. Um, but uh, establish yourself down in Adirondack and be the best defenseman down there. If we have injuries or if we make a move, um, if you're the best, we'll give you an opportunity. And opportunity, as I used earlier, uh, to play against the Wolverines and the rest of the competition that we have in our next 30 games with Lindenwood, uh, I follow that suit. Providing opportunities mm-hmm. uh, is extremely important. And, and, and in sports, uh, it's never graded on a scale. It's always pass-fail. So Jacques Demers was a man of his word and gave me the opportunity, and I never looked back. Rick, you mentioned the franchise, Steve Eiserman. Just a couple more questions about the Wings. Back then, he was in the midst of six straight years with 100-plus points. He went from 31 goals to 50 to 65 when you were there. What were his leadership skills like back then, Rick? And were you a bit surprised it took another seven years for the Wings to win the Cup with Eiserman as captain after you were traded to St. Louis for Vince Riendo, the goalie? No, so so when Stevie came in, I think he was 17 or 18, uh, we used to have fitness tests. That guy could only bench press his weight one time. Uh, <laughs> he was small and slight. And what's funny is, so the following first-round pick was Sean Burr, and, and, and Sean's claim to fame was he doubled Stevie's production as, as a rookie. So uh, Burzy was able to bench press his weight twice. Uh, Stevie Eisman was an extremely quiet uh, leader. Uh, Stevie chose to spend time with his wife, Lisa, and family, uh, where he had a tremendous amount of opportunities for endorsements. At mm-hmm. that um, Isaiah was getting it, and the Pistons were getting it. Stevie would have got that before all of them. Uh, the endorsements uh, Jacques Demers took upon himself, and and he, he became the face. As far as the uh, endorsements go, Stevie was all about business. And he, he was a quiet leader where his actions spoke more than any, anything else. Um, when he spoke, everybody stopped and listened. And when, when you say listen nowadays, maybe everybody has their eyes glued on their cell phone. Cell phones weren't part of it. You paid attention to what Stevie was doing. And um, uh, unbelievable mind for the game. Unbelievable when it came to um, the understanding of the human side of teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we actually had, so back then, I don't know what it is now, half the team lived on the east side and the other half lived on the west side. Um, having afternoon lunch, uh, lunches after practice was uh, extremely important uh, <laughs> to cohesion. And uh, Stevie was never part of that. Uh, he, he chose to be at, at home and, and do his thing. And, and, and not till you get away from the game do you, do you recognize the immense amount of pressure on a superstar that you need space and you need time to be yourself. And I, I get it now. Um, but it, it's funny because 
not until you're missing something do you realize there's an absence or there's a comparison value. And, and mm-hmm. uh, after the first year that I was traded to St. Louis, I still had my home in Detroit and went, and went home uh, to Detroit. The question that I got frequently is, what's Brett Hull like a captain compared to Stevie? Huh. <laughs> Those are not really good or fair comparisons. They each have their own way of presenting the material and you've got to be smart enough of how to receive it. You know, my last year, Ray Bork was my captain. So I've been around some pretty quality hockey players that have tremendous leadership skills all in their own way. Uh, and what people don't realize is on uh, my last few years, Stevie was always up for um, trade considerations. His name was always co- coming up on trade considerations. Mm-hmm. And um, this is when he blew out his ACL, uh, chose at that time not to have surgery. Um, I believe he took a page out of Ted Lindsay's book. Like when we'd come in for practice, Ted, Ted Lindsay, I don't know what old what age he was at that time, was always in the weight room and the dressing room. Prior to us even coming into practice, Stevie was there. And Stevie ended up building his muscles uh, to secure his injury. Back in the day, that was a for sure you're under the knife. And he developed his lower body, looked like a light bulb. And it, it was amazing the, um, the vested interest that he had in to making certain that he was more than just a productive player. He was going to live up to his uh, capacity and then supersede that. And finally, Rick, you talked about time away from the rank and you developed a number of hobbies and your artistic side has come out. You developed a hockey coloring book for children. You help with the City of Heroes series and you spent almost 15 years in the St. Louis area coaching everything from high school to USHL hockey academies. I just wonder when you take a look at your career and what you did off ice and now where you are now, I just wonder about your thoughts about your progress over the years. And do you have any other aspirations other than just getting this team into a really competitive environment, including playing here in Michigan, improving, and then seeing where everything happens as far as your career, Rick? You throw <laughs> topics at me. Yes. Mark, it, it, it is. Uh, so when I was playing, I, I didn't want to be considered a dumb jock. Um, I was extremely intelligent. I went, I went to school at North Dakota as a pre-vet. Uh, I was intelligent that I could have gone to Harvard. Uh, but, but my passion was to play pro hockey. Uh, playing in the NHL is my aspiration. I, I believe that everybody has a choice in their walks of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm one to um, set attainable goals, but they're extremely lofty. I, I'm, I'm very driven. Uh, I, don't, I don't mind uh, being titled as an over, overachiever. Uh, I've also been labeled as being aloof because I'm not one to boast. I'm extremely humble about my accomplishments. Nobody knows the type of effort and time that Walter Payton put in the Chicago Bears. I do because I used to run with him at Mount Trashmore in Chicago. They don't know Jerry Rice. They just know the numbers and the records. Uh, That for people to be successful, um, there's an awful lot of stuff that is not necessary. Social media does nothing for me. It mm-hmm. wasn't a in the day to boast uh, of the effort or the means or the process of getting there. Back in my day, nobody could care less. 
everything is about result driven. And I decided that my last year of pro, um, my children were getting old enough that they were getting established in school. Uh, St. Louis was becoming our home. I didn't want to move them around. I didn't want to be an NHL player that stayed in it for the paycheck. I was very uh, comfortable in my accomplishments, and I didn't want to be that guy. Um, having St. Louis as my home, um, having um, my in-laws and all my friends, uh, not only in St. Louis, but also in Detroit, that there's never, it has never left what um, Detroit has offered me. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't loathe in it, but I sure won't forget. I believe that for me, I'm more of a giver than a taker. And in the hands of the right people, it, it becomes extremely powerful. As a giver, in the hands of the wrong person, you become vulnerable. And for me to give back to what I, I feel is the greatest research or resource in the country as a youth, I know the game inside and out, and I have a tremendous amount of patience and communication skills. And being around children, rarely is there an agenda. Uh, so coaching is where I gravitated to. Um, with that, yes. Uh, trying to scratch out a living mm -hmm. was uh, important. Uh, but making certain that my second career, I enjoyed going to work. Nothing worse to me than talking to people that hate Mondays and look forward to Fridays. I really enjoy going to work. I, I really, it's an environment that I enjoy. It's an environment that I enjoy being around kids that have the same likes. My coaching is no different than most of most other coaches, successful coaches, um, especially now. All the information is on the internet. I coach life skills through a passion and a sport that everybody likes to participate in. That's what pulls us together. That's what pulls me together with my players. My players couldn't care less that I was the first player out of USHL drafted. Couldn't mm -hmm. care less I split, played in the Spangler Cup. Means nothing to them. Yeah. Last year in the playoffs, I asked my guys, give me five Hall of Famers that played on the Edmonton Oilers and Gretzky's your first one. Give me four. They couldn't come up with it. You know, to, for me to talk about Sergey, they don't know who Sergey Fedorov is. Um, they know current and, and they know themselves and they know the reflection. So always being on my toes and understanding, I know the subject matter, but understanding what makes these players tick makes me really successful as a coach, or I have been in the past. The game hasn't changed. It is trying to make players uncomfortable being comfortable in an uncomfortable format where you're always asking for a little bit more. Okay. And, and communication as far as listening for a coach comes uh, vitally important when you're talking to the young athletes. So I was able to scratch out livings at in St. Louis at home where I could still be around my children and, and not have my children like army brats chasing a paycheck for my passion. So I coach in the North American League. I coach in the USHL. I had a training facility. Uh, every player in St. Louis, I've touched one way or another inside of hockey. Mm -hmm. My position that I took uh, at Lindenwood University 
there was zero aspirations that we'd ever go Division One. I. I was very content at being the best at whatever level I was at. I, I signed up for my players. People call it a player's coach. I don't call it a player's coach. Yeah, I, I call it me. Uh, understanding me, I don't treat my players no differently than, than my children. Um, I'm not easy, but I'm fair and I'm honest. Um, and, and, and it works for me. Rick, thanks so much for your time today talking about the Red Wings, your relationship with the Illiches, and of course, your time with Lindenwood. And again, hockey fans here can uh, take a look at that hockey club, Rick Zombo, coming into town early October against the Michigan Wolverines. Thanks again for your time today, Rick. Mark, I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk hockey with you. Our thanks again to Rick Zombo. Now let's hear from Andrew Kopp. He's the Ann Arbor native, the former Wolverine, who has been recovering from off-season surgery and will make his Red Wings debut on Friday against the Canadians. Here's what he had to say about becoming a better defensive team. You know, the best teams across the league, they give up very few goals and they don't give up chances. They're on top of you. They don't give you time and space. So um, those are the most frustrating teams to play against, and those are the ones that are ultimately playing into, you know, May and June. So um, we're going to have to be one of those teams. We're going to have to be, you know, taking away time and space. We're going to have to, you know, be really diligent in our defensive zone with our sticks and positioning. So, um, yeah, it's going to be probably the most important part of our team going forward this year. Ted, the Red Wings were that team last year for a while. We talked about this on the podcast last year. On December 4th, they were four games over 500, their best record in a long time. Rich Sider had just scored in overtime. They beat the Islanders five straight wins. They were 13-9-3 after 25 games. They then lost three in a row at home against Nashville 5-2. And then as Steve Eisman said, they had problems on the road, 6-2 in St. Louis, 7-3 in Colorado. And they finished 12 games under the rest of the way. So my question is, can they sustain that level of play? Because at the time, you said they were almost playing playoff-style hockey last year. They were blocking shots. They were taking hits. And I know those stats can be subjective. They were averaging 18 hits and 14 block shots when they were winning. In comparison, Ted, I looked up the Lightning's playoff run last year. I know it's the playoffs, but Lalonde's Lightning played 23 games. They were 14 and nine, and they averaged 37 hits. That's twice as many and 18 block shots about the same as Detroit. But I think a lot of us remember Steven Stamkos blocking the shot going into the corridor. He's hurt. And Brandon Hagel was coming back the other way. And then Perry Chernak and Sergachev, they were all hit by pucks blocking shots. So can the Red Wings fans expect this kind of sustained effort? Nine of the first 14 games are at home. Can you see Detroit playing that style of play with this concise new coaching, new players? Can they sustain that for more than 25 games? Mark, be careful about stats because the Tampa and then the Florida Panthers crews, they're legendary in their, <laughs> yes <clears throat> padding though shall we say of statistics yeah. uh, i hear very you. leery of the statistics but yeah no i looked at the schedule mark i know it's fun interesting you mentioned that i do think i mean let's face it at nine out of 14 at home there's some games there he really they really should on paper be favored to win so there is an opportunity to get off to a good start which is obviously always a good thing even the road games, I mean, Chicago, let's face it, watching Chicago last night, that's mm -hmm. barely an American League team. So that should be a W there, you figure. Buffalo and New Jersey, that's games that they can win. 
So there are opportunities there to get off to a quick start, which I think would be, you know, for a roster that's still trying to find itself melding together. There's a lot of new faces. That would be helpful. I mean, obviously, and there is an opportunity there. They've, they played well at home at the start of last season. Um, if they can incorporate some of this stuff, mm-hmm. play that type of way. Uh, heck, I mean, you, I think there's a chance to be over 500 after those 14 games. Because, again, Mark, when you look down the road, when I looked at the schedule, similar to last year, and I guess every team goes through it, but there's some stretches where it's going to be very, very difficult. They face a lot of playoff teams, I believe it's in December, mm-hmm. and then maybe in February, I want to say. Similar to last year, it's going to be difficult. So, you know, as, if they can bank as many points as they can here early on, it's to their benefit for sure. Finally, Ted, let's hear from general manager Steve Eiserman. He's added a lot of these new players, eight players, Kopp, Sherratt, Perron, Kubelik, Mata, Husa, Haig, Pizik. In training camp, he was asked if they can finally be in playoff contention down the stretch, and here's what he said. I looked at our season last year. Um, we looked at our, our, you know, we're concerned. You look at your schedule, you know, obviously our goals against was a concern, and we, we, we were beating teams. It was progress. I felt it was progress because the teams that we expected for the most part to be competitive against, we were. And then we had a lot of, you know, play the top teams in the league on the road in the second half of our schedule. And, you know, even the first part of the schedule, when we went on the road against real good teams, we weren't all that competitive. I think we won a game in Boston, won nothing when, you know, Ned stood on his head uh, to win us that game. But the, to me, all the indicators of us were, I don't think we're ready to contend last year. Um, in the second half, it kind of brought us back down to earth. Um, so, uh, you know, I go this season, we'll see how we progress. If we can, if we can um, be more competitive on the road, match up a little bit better against the top teams when we go into their building, if we can win on back-to-back nights, that would give me some optimism that, that, that hey, maybe we can push for it. But for me to talk about the playoffs now, it's so far off. And, you know, I just, as we're talking about our division, if you, you know, you kind of today, not knowing what's going to happen, but today you'd say, you know, probably Toronto, Tampa and Florida, there's the three teams in our division. We expect to make the playoffs and pick whichever three in the Metro. Then the rest of us are competing for two wildcard spots and it's a real challenge. So I'm hoping we're there, but time will tell, and I'll be able to, you know, give you a, a, a better answer. I don't know, pick a point in the season. Maybe we can revisit it. So, Ted, Steve Eisman just said the playoffs are so far off. He said Toronto, Florida, and Tampa Bay are playoff locks. You have those three teams making the playoffs in your predictions at DetroitNews.com, as well as the Bruins. Also in the East, you have Carolina, Pittsburgh, the Rangers, and the Islanders. And in the West, you have Colorado, Minnesota, Nashville, Dallas, Edmonton, Calgary, Los Angeles, Vegas. Your final four in the East, Pittsburgh versus Toronto. And in the West, Colorado, the Stanley Cup champions against Calgary. And you have Pittsburgh winning the Cup with the big three, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, winning their fourth. a gut fourth. feeling there, Mark, more than anything. I, for whatever reason, I just had a gut. I have a gut, gut feeling, feeling about them this year. I think they're going to be very motivated, the fact that they all got brought back together. And frankly, I kind of like the rest of their lineup. I really do. I think there's some reason to be optimistic there. 
if the goalie Jerry can stay healthy, I think he's they out look, if it was a boxing match, they they outplayed the Rangers last year in the first round of the playoffs and mm-hmm. somehow they still lost. I think I think Pittsburgh, I don't know, just a gut feeling. Sure. But if not Pittsburgh, then yeah, Calgary. I think Calgary has just a darn darn good team. And I think there's going to be motivation on their part, obviously, after what happened this summer with their stars leaving. But I guess my final question would be how much better, Ted, are those playoff teams than the wings? And as I mentioned earlier, is there like a 5% chance, a 1% chance that the wings could improve to say 94 points? That's a 20 point improvement. That's probably, that's, that's pretty that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. But, but, I think is it still, I mean, Mark, isn't it still going to, I mean, you're still going to probably need close to yeah 95 points or yeah. more, I would think to get in. So I'm not going to let you go though, Mark, who's, who are you picking? It's <laughs> at least the division winners. Yeah. Final four. And then a Stanley. Yeah, you, you can't let me go, but I, no, always, no. I almost always pick the defending champions. It's pretty boring. Last year, I think. I picked the uh, the Lightning. They made it to the final again. I think the Avalanche are still like the best team, right, That's Ted fair. and Lee? But I, I can see Calgary. I can see Edmonton. Right. There's right. there's probably give me an Eastern favorite <laughs> and an Eastern favorite. You know what? I'll pick Tampa Bay out of the East, and I'll pick Colorado in a rematch. My um, only thought about Tampa, Mark, is the the margin of error is getting slimmer there. Yes. Uh, the depth uh, they can't afford injuries to their big horses nearly as much as they could before i mean uh when you looked at that lineup tuesday against the rangers you know the bottom half of it but wasn't was frankly wasn't very imposing so yeah they can't afford too many injuries and my goodness gracious they've played so much hockey here lately they really have and you really wonder how that's gonna if and when that's going to catch up to them. I wouldn't be surprised if Breeze Their elite talent's still as good as anybody. You're, yeah. you're right about that. And wouldn't that be something if Jeff Blaschel got into the uh, Stanley Cup final and actually won the Cup? Wouldn't that be something? I think a lot of people would like that around here. I think they would enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ted, thanks again for your time today. That's our season preview and episode 77 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing our podcasts. Ted and I will be back in a couple of weeks with our special guest, John Bacon, the Ann Arbor native and author of The Greatest Comeback, How Team Canada Fought Back, Took the Summit Series, and Reinvented Hockey. (laughs) 